0: Welcome to Ramble City.
1: You know, Spider-Man is on a trip and to a museum and there's a radioactive spider that bites him. Um, You know, Captain America, and this is Captain America's from the 40s. This is a little bit different, but you know, he is a super soldier that is enhanced to be a better machine in war. That's something we've seen countries try to do, you know. So, all of these, uh, the X Men are, are genetic mutations. So, all of these stories try to be a little bit more, um, slice of life. That's a terrible way to put it though, because. They're still superhero comics at this point, and they're still about people who shoot lasers from their eyes and whatnot. But, you know, yeah. it's, but it's, it, it tries to be a little bit more, as like I said, the comics outside your window. And so, uh, Marvel becomes very popular because their characters are in almost every way more relatable to us, the average reader, than DC's comics and characters are.
0: superheroes comic books dc versus marvel how did these stories and characters become a part of our lives and where did all this begin today's guest is brian salvatore the editor of MultiversityComics.com and host of the brilliant dc3 cast during our chat recorded in 2021 he outlines the evolution of the comic from the 1930s to now its effect on society across time, and we go deep into the construction of the DC universe, DC being one of the largest and oldest American comic book companies. Now, we explain what this actually means in English. Don't worry. Perhaps like me, you know very little about comic books and it's a brilliant story in its own right. If you enjoy this episode, please be sure to follow us wherever you get your pods and let a friend know you're listening to our show. Word of mouth really is the best way for us to reach new listeners, so thank you for doing that. Also, we have a bonus top five episode just below this one where Brian recommends comics for those new to the form or are looking for some to check out. So if you get to the end of this episode and you're inspired and you want to know what to buy, he has so generously given us an indication of where we should all start. But that is enough for From me let's get on with the chat we begin with uh where all good podcasts should start with the host me admitting how little they know about the topic my name is bradley mccall and this is ramble city welcome to ramble city tell us when was the first time that you fell in love with a comic
1: so I've told this story uh, a number of times, and uh, I'm at the point of telling it where I hope it's true. <laughs> you know, sometimes, <laughs> you, sometimes you tell a story so many times that it takes on, like, apocryphal elements. But my father, one of his really good friends was a tailor who t- tailored clothes. And he was uh, – my, my father was born in the United States, but his friend was born in Italy. And so there was this Italian tailor who – his his shop was maybe 10 minutes from my house growing up. And every Saturday, my dad would let my mother sleep and would take me and then eventually me and my little brother to this tailor shop for him to bring coffee to his friend and for them to talk for a half hour. And to keep me quiet, he would buy a comic book for me um, wow. because this is in the days before Game Boys or before, um, you know, I think so. And I guess it was it was easier than lugging some toys. So we would go to this little shop called the varsity it was like a a deli slash convenience store and i would just look at the the spinner rack there and i would pick out a comic book and i would then sit and read this comic book while he and his friend drank coffee and spoke in a shop that smelled like biscotti um (laughs) i don't know why it smelled like biscotti but it did and um but so it uh so one of my earliest memories of reading comics is sitting in this like faux leather chair reading comic books and that was in um i'm gonna guess 1985 or 86. so i was three or four years old so i don't even know if i was reading the comic books versus just you know looking at the comic Look books photos yeah yeah so i i have um i had someplace a box full of comics from the mid 80s that we simply just bought on that looks cool. Or maybe it was a case of that's the only one I haven't read that's there this month, you know, whatever it was. So that's how I started with actual comics. But this is also the mid 80s. And so there was the Super Friends television series, which was a, an animated DC comics uh, show with Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, The Flash. So I was probably watching that before I was reading comics. Yeah, and then uh, the big event for me that I can distinctly remember is my dad taking me to see in the movie theater Superman four The Quest for Peace, which is not a good movie. It, it's, I mean, <laughs> you know, p- people people want to want to be down on some of the modern DC films, and I I, I can join in that game. But when comparing to Superman four The Quest for Peace, anything is better than that. But mm-hmm. just at the time seeing Superman on the big screen, it, it was a big deal to me. So. All of those events, kind of taken together, made me into a lifelong comic fan from the age of three or four.
0: It's amazing that this is your kind of um, this is your comic book fandom or love origin story. You know, if you were if you were a a superhero, this is kind of you know the whole (laughs) beginnings of your your superpower to ingest. Um, paper with your eyes i guess yes.
1: <laughs> S- somebody would have spilled coffee on me and i would have become like <laughs> caffeine man or you know uh latte boy or whatever but yeah Shh,
0: i'm reading <laughs> you know, just. so do you remember what the first the i don't i don't think you told us then but what was the first comic do you remember the first comic that you that you read
1: I don't remember the first one, but I remember one of the first ones was – so in in 1985, the DC Universe – reset itself for the first time there was this big event called crisis on infinite earths and
0: which i have so many questions about and we'll, i'm hoping <laughs> we'll, that we'll that. dig into this later because like, sure. that is kind of like this is kind of like the moment where we either decide to take the what is it the blue pill or, or yeah the red or, pill yes or the red exactly pill. It's yes kind of like how deep do you go down into this world sure. but um, so, so yeah. after crisis on infinite earths
1: there was a period of time where everything was um there were lots of good jumping on points and if i had known what i was doing i would have bought the same comics because they were they were they were not bogged down by at the time 40 to 50 years of continuity but mm. uh so the first one i remember is, is justice league number 1 it was uh by keith giffen jm J. demitas and um oh god keith giffen jm demitas and kevin maguire and it was um, Kevin,
0: of course, good old Kevin. <laughs> yes, My it,
1: man. It, it was a. Uh, it's it's a terrible comic for a three year old to be paging through. I will say right. that because it's very boring. It's mo- it's mostly in their headquarters. And they're having debates about like what should the Justice League be. But you know, so <laughs> the, again, not for a, a three year old. But you know, but that comic now is one I really enjoy. And whenever I see the cover, I have a, a pang of sentimentality. Because of I, that was one of the first.
0: And what 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 is it? This is the 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 thing that fascinates me about it as a non comic lover. So I, I guess I should say that I've only ever bought one comic in my life. I mean, I say that, and I don't know if I should always say comic book. And if I say comic, whether that's rude, you know? What I mean, this is the the level no, that, of my ignorance before we've dipped into this world together. You know. No, comic is the right word. Um, I, okay, I get okay. very, I get very annoyed. Like for
1: instance, there's going to be a Netflix series on. Uh, the, uh, an adaptation of the comic Sweet Tooth, and I keep hearing people say the graphic novel series, and I want to yell at them and say, "No, graphic novel is is something different than comic." I mean, it's 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 the same genus, right? But it's it's a different it's a different thing, and I think people are afraid to say comic because to them that sounds like an insulting term. It but, sounds like
0: a kids' book or something. They, right? We're worried that that's what we're insinuating.
1: Right, but when when I was in college, one of my best friends was dating a girl who didn't like that he read comics, and so he used to say to her, like, "Oh no, it's a graphic novel." Like you know, that was that was his way <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. of of sounding less, uh, I, I don't know, less ashamed. But but to me, it's um, comic book is the proper term.
0: Sequential what, art,
1: if you want to get really fancy. But-
0: sequential art. So what then? So what is if you wouldn't mind explaining for? Um, anyone else that feels like me and doesn't know what this is so what is a comic then and what is a graphic novel and further to that what was it about it that you fell in love with
1: okay so i'm going to back up a little bit further than that okay Um, oh
0: wow okay so there's colors there's green (laughs) no 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 no, No, no. okay, okay
1: so so think about when you watch a film okay a film at its core, I mean, now it's digital, so it's a little bit different, right? But okay. a film at its core is a series of individually photographed images that are played back fast enough that your eye is tricked to thinking you're watching motion, okay? Yeah. yeah. A sequential art in a comic book form is essentially not doing, you know, X amount of frames per second, but you're looking at the panels and your eyes are playing the same trick. Where, if, if you're reading, you know, if panel number one is Bradley getting punched, is Brian throwing his fist. And panel whoa, two whoa, is Bradley. Whoa, 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 whoa,
0: <laughs> whoa, whoa. This got very violent very quickly.
1: Yeah. Like <laughs> I, 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 and then panel number two is my fist on your face. And then panel yep. three is your face shifting to the side from the impact of my fist. Yeah. When you read that, you understand what just happened. But it's not taking you through like a, a, a frame by frame instruction of that. So the difference between a comic book and a picture book that like a child would read is that in a picture book, it will say Brian punched Bradley, and then it'll be one image of that, and the next page will be a uh, the fallout of that. So sequential art still takes you through the like fundamental storytelling beats of usually you're seeing things happen. But here's where comics, where I fell in love with them, and also why I think they're the most, one of the most unique art forms. Because you don't have every frame in that action shot, your brain has to create what happens in between there. And so when I read a comic, and something simple happens, like one character punches another, and you read the same comic, our brains are going to connect those dots differently, and therefore, the experience of reading is totally unique to you or to me, because I cannot get inside your brain and see the way that
0: you read that. So, it's kind of like, and forgive me, it's kind of like a poor man's film. Is that what it is? I I would say...
1: (laughs) No, I, mean,
0: that's because, a <laughs> well, I would because politely my, say goodbye, sir.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I I, appreciate what you're trying to say here, but there, there, to me, there's two key differences. Okay, The first is that when you're watching a film, you don't bring, I mean, everyone brings their own baggage and their own emotions. But there's no choose it.
0: your own adventure, so to speak. There's yes. no psychological choose your own adventure, yeah.
1: Right, yes, yeah, so that's part one. But part two is this, you know, If you had given George Lucas a billion dollars in 1977 and said, make Star Wars however you want, there's no restrictions at all, we would have gotten a different film than the one we got because he had a limited budget and limited special effects to do that with. A comic book blows that out of the water. The only limit is the talent of the artist and the imagination of the writer. And so there are things that are done in comic books that quite literally could never be done in film. For instance, there was a comic released last month, uh, Batman Superman number 16. And imagine for a second, you're looking at a, at a piece of paper in um, landscape format. So not tall portrait, but sideways landscape. The comic was literally divided halfway through the page, and there were two different stories. There was a page in the top half of the story, and a, sorry, a story on the top half of the page, and a story on the bottom half of the page. And the entire comic had two stories running concurrently. And the first page said, wow. You can read this all at once on the top, read this all at once on the bottom, or you can read them both at the same you know, read them both and then go along. So not only is there a, a difference in. Um, you know, I again, I would have read that differently than you would have because our brains work differently. But also, there's just a there was a choice there. There's a comic yeah. uh, that came out a couple years ago, Batman number five, maybe from 2011 or 2012, rather, and um, you had to turn the comic book to read it in parts. You had to physically turn the book. You couldn't just read it in one direction you had to turn it because there was a maze element to it so n- not every comic book does these things but the ability to do these things yeah it's um, so interactive As there. someone
0: that that has like i guess picked up maybe two comics you know in mm-hmm. my life like sure. one of them was a gift that i gave to someone else i i bought it because it was Something related to them, and I thought it had sentimentality, and and I think I flicked through a little bit, but yeah, it, it sounds like the act of just holding it and moving it, and you're involved with these things. You're right in it, you know. Yes,
1: absolutely. And, and the other part that for me is is big is, and and this is this will tell you a lot about my personality too. Here is that,
0: so. All the comics have you punching me in the face?
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Every single yeah. one. Uh, yeah, I thought so. yeah. it, it, it's a cottage industry I have I have formulated <laughs> over time travel and a lot of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no. So, uh, you know, my, my dad read Superman comics in the 40s. I read Superman comics in the 80s. And my kids are reading Superman comics in the 2020s. And while it's not the exact same story, there is carryover between all of these stories. And so, you know, all of us have fallen in love with a film series uh, or a television series. And oftentimes at the end of it, I feel like I wish there was more. And if you love comics, especially if you love superhero comics, and that's that's a whole other conversation that there's many comics that have nothing to do with superheroes at all. There yeah. are comics about sex and divorce and war and business and whatever else. But if you, if you love superhero comics, which is something that I do uh, unabashedly love there, there are 80 years of story behind you and every month you're getting new story. Yeah. And so, so there's this, there's this continuity of, of, I mean, you know, again, not to sound too cheesy about this, but, like, superheroes have been with me my whole life. And they will be with my kids their whole lives, God willing, you know, and they will be with my grandkids their whole lives. And there's just something really, uh, to me, really special about having this art form that it's not like being the fan of a sports team where, you know, if, if you're if your grandfather rooted for X team and you re- root for that team, there's no one on that team who has any connective tissue to yeah. the person your grandfather wrote it for. But, you know, we literally, my dad and I literally read the same character across all these years.
0: And the way that then, as you've explained to us, that everyone is then involving themselves in these worlds and these stories in their own unique way, while still having that shared experience. That's, mm-hmm. that's something that, yeah, I obviously would not have occurred to me, and um, wow, I'm 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 really uh, I'm I'm kind of buzzed to go buy some comics. I got to be honest. <laughs> oh, um, I have so, a list for you. Don't worry. Oh, fantastic! All right, we're gonna. That's in the show notes. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break. Let's come back and let's talk about a brief overview of the history of the comic. So, Brian, before we get into DC Comics, um, and I guess at some point this is where we sort of start to verge into the different categories of comics as you referred to, but uh, before we, well, when we lined up this conversation and I sort of, for the first time, you know, typed in those immortal words, history of comics, enter, and just fell deep, deep, deep into, uh, um, I'm still kind of spinning, it's... it's. Um, not to sound too uh, too naive, but I found myself saying the words, oh, this is just like real history. This is just like music <laughs> history. This is just like theater history. And it says a lot to, I think, people's views, my view of a comic. And as you say, how legitimate and historic and um, complex and so many things. So take us to the very beginning, if you can. Um, how did it all start? I mean,
1: cave drawings are essentially comic books. Kidding! I'm kidding! I'm kidding!
0: Uh, but, you know. <laughs> hey, I was with you, man. I bought no, this hookah and single it.
1: I mean theoretically, yes. It's it's telling. It's telling. It's using artwork to tell a story.
0: Um, but, you know, and in those. Um, uh, Brian punch exactly. Brad.
1: Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, um, you know. I, I guess it depends how far back you want to go. Like Modern comics start kind of in two different places. You have the idea of the comic strip in the newspapers, which was uh, in the United States, at least. I'm not sure worldwide when comic strips started, but yeah. the comic strips, you know, were, were, still are a big part of newspapers, you know, to this day in some parts of the world. Um, and so a lot of characters started from there, but sort of the big bang of comic books was, you uh, the the, the the launch of and I don't mean that's Quentin Tarantino film, but pulp fiction of these stories being these sort of cheap paperbacks being written about detectives and about uh, murder and, you know, intrigue and all these things that sort of bleeds over into comics in the like early 30s. And then the big bang that everyone talks about when we talk about modern comics is Action Comics number 1 in 1939, which is the first appearance of Superman. Um, right. But we could, I mean, I, I think we could go back before then, but I, I would I would encourage us to start about there. Because that's when things start to look relatively similar to what we have now. You know, there was uh, Detective Comics that came around the same time, which originally focused on a character called Slam Bradley who was like a hard-boiled gumshoe, but that became Batman comics at some point. Um, the, the, the Batman comic, it, one of the Batman comics is still called Detective Comics. One of the Superman comics is still called Action Comics. So that's Those are really the start of um, modern comics. Around the same time, a couple years later, we start to see characters like Captain America and the Human Torch happen at a comic company called Timely. That becomes Marvel Comics eventually. Um, right.
0: And so, a, so those first those first two comics. Sorry to interrupt, but those first two. So one of Action that became DC or that is DC. It,
1: that is DC. DC. It was actually called National Publications at the time, but right. Action Comics and Detective Comics are two of the earliest national comic books, and I, I don't. I, I mean that in two ways. I mean it was the company was called National, but they were also distributed nationally. Um, right. And that is the beginning of superheroes, essentially. I mean, there are a couple of characters before then, and there's a lot of debate over sort of who came up with the idea first. But in terms of like trying to, to narrow this down for your listeners in a way that's not going to be pedantic and boring, I think starting there is is really, um, is really really important. What happens almost instantly is you begin to see a difference of opinion between the people who are sometimes the creators themselves and sometimes between the creators and the publisher. So, for instance, Batman, the idea for Batman was uh, created by a guy named Bob Kane. But everything you know about Batman essentially was created by a guy named Bill Finger. Bill Finger gave him, he was the artist, he gave him the iconic look. Um, A lot of the details of Batman that we hold as, as important now came from Bill Finger and not Bob Kane. And yet it was in the last 10 years that Bill Finger started getting a credit in Batman comics because Bob Kane was able to cajole his way into basically sole creatorship. So when in 1989, when the Batman film came out, there were all these interviews with with Bob Kane where he basically took full responsibility for Batman and he was not the sole creator of Batman by any means. And that is a very common story. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Stan Lee who was sort of the architect of the Marvel Universe. Stan Lee is a at best, was an at best uh, middling writer. He was really good at initial ideas, but almost all the stuff that you read in those comics were were put there by the artist. And he did not give credit for many, many years and cost people millions of dollars because of his uh, inability to share credits properly and his desire to be the star. Um, so very early on, we are seeing conflicts between creators over credit. And also these companies said, well, you know, you published Superman in our action comics. Therefore, we own Superman. And so there, there is almost instantly litigious action. And if not litigious action, just um, sort of feuds that begin between the people who are creating it and the people who are publishing it. Very much in a way how, you know a record label owns the masters of an artist's music and you know, it could take them years and millions of dollars to ever get the rights back to that. Very, very similar. And, and there's sort of uh, similar characters across comics history, like there are in music history, whether it's people, you know, there wasn't exactly payola, but there's things kind of like, you know, all of the things that you see in music or in film or anywhere else, yeah. all of that does happen in comics. It just happens on a scale that is that is probably smaller, both in terms of the number of people involved and also smaller in the amount of money that's involved. Although, I would argue that there are few film franchises or musicians whose intellectual property is as recognizable in 2021 as some comic book characters.
0: Yeah, like, it's very rare that there's not many films that are inspired by or based around us song by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Ringo, you know, right. George Harrison and Ringo Starr, you know, some of the the biggest personalities and brands of pop music haven't created 12 films rolled out <laughs> across the span of, you know, 30 years. Right. And yeah, that it's incredible to think, isn't it, that this time, you know, so what is this? Is this the 19... Because I've in my notes I've got, so this is kind of like one of these four ages that kind of classify these yes. periods for comic books so we've got the golden age the silver age the bronze and the modern age and this is the bit that was blowing my mind i'm like oh my god this is just like nature you know yes so, so the
1: goal the golden age starts in 1939 with superman okay. and right. it wraps up I- in the early to mid 1950s again okay, you'll get different people arguing exactly when they they begin and end but here is where things get really confusing so let me just let me just Confuse everybody off the bat, and then I will. <laughs> I, I will circle back, and I will. I will. Um, I will explain everything. So, okay. Ignore Superman and Batman for a second.
0: All right. Uh, also, gone. also, also exists. <laughs> the world's a better place.
1: No, it's not. But um, so it's it. I'm talking about DC for the most part now, because early comics history is very much DC comics history. There are other companies, but DC is sort of the 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 overriding. Um, company at this point and DC is publishing not just superhero comics but there's romance comics there's um, sci-fi comics there are crime comics and in the early 50s we get the rise of horror comics through a company called EC um, there was a television show on, on HBO called Tales from the Crypt for many years yeah. those are all based on EC comics um, and those are th- those are all horror comics but we'll get to that in a minute but so um, there are characters called the Flash and Green Lantern and the Adam and these are these are among the most iconic comic book characters of the time, and they they form a team called the Justice Society of America. And there's all these comics, and during World War II, there is a lot of comics where they fight Hitler or they fight Nazis. And it's it's it, at that point, a lot of the comic writers were and artists were Jewish, and it was a very personal thing to write a comic book character punching Hitler. Because Hitler was wiping their race off the planet, yeah. and so th- there, there's a lot in there when you read it that can read, and I mean this in the best possible way, like revenge porn, you know, sure. almost like, almost like how in *Inglorious Bastards*, you see these Jewish soldiers killing Hitler, and if you're, wa- I mean, watching that in the theater, people were screaming and shouting in joy when I saw it because it wow. felt like, yes, we are, we're doing it, and that's what was happening in comics. You know, contemporaneously, to World War II. Um, but anyway, so Green Lantern, The Flash, The Atom, these characters, they're the Justice Society, and their popularity begins to eventually waver. And like everything else, there's trends here. And those characters, for the most part, stop being published. Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman continue because those are DC's big three. They call them the Trinity. And those characters are popular enough that they kind of... they can deal with the ups and downs but in the 50s after it's after these characters have been dormant for five or six or seven years somebody creates a new version of the flash that has nothing to do with the old version of the flash different name different costume different origins slightly different powers and there's a new flash same thing with green lantern same thing with the atom and so there there's this whole new set of stories that have these characters in it and because a question
0: about that sure yes is is that is that here like i'm not going to spoil where you're going but was the was the the genesis of this just someone that went i'm doing a new version of this like like it wasn't cognitive it just was kind of like oh this is this now
1: I, i think it was two things i think it was that they owned the intellectual property of that name yeah so they could all and i think part of it was this is mainly for kids and so at the time especially comics were mainly for kids they still are to a lot of to a certain degree but um and so i think that they felt that if brian's dad brings him into the varsity to buy a comic he can say hey i read the flash when i was a kid and give it to the kid but the kid doesn't have any of the baggage that comes from the 20 years of flash comics he so, so they're up, revamping
0: it- essentially for a new time for a new audience, yes perhaps exactly right. and
1: and right. this was also at the time when science fiction was on the rise, both in novels and on screen. And so a lot of the origin stories become a little bit more sci-fi, um, just, you know, inspired by that stuff. And so we get as I said, these, this new set of characters. Some characters are quite literally just the old characters, um, same names and everything. Some of them are brand new. But this goes on for seven or eight years. And then people realize... Okay, we have an opportunity here to not just have one version of the Flash, but we can have both of these connect. Well, how would that happen? Okay, here's how that happened. The old comics took place on a different Earth. So modern comics are on Earth, two, uh, Earth 1, but those are on Earth 2. So there's a comic book that the title of the issue is The Flash of Two Worlds. And it's an iconic cover where on the left side, you see one version of the Flash running towards you. On the right side, the other version of the Flash. And this is the because the Flash is so fast, he can travel through time and space and all of this. And so he winds up teaming up with the original Flash. So Barry Allen teams up with Jay Garrick. And this begins this, this period of time where every year you would get one comic story that would have the Justice League of America, which is the 1960s new version of this, and the Justice Society of America, which is the 40s version, teaming up in this... It was first called Crisis of Two Worlds. Now, again, this is complicated. Over time, DC starts buying up other comic companies. It's a company called Fawcett Comics that publishes Captain Marvel, otherwise known as Shazam. So that becomes... Earth 5 is the Shazam universe. They buy up Charlton Comics. The
0: bargain bin of comic books is World 5.
1: Hey, hey, There's infinite bargain bins (laughs) of comics because eventually they create this multiverse that has everything in it. This is all DC comics, but we'll get to Marvel in just a second. But So DC starts, most of the comics you read are still taking place here on Earth 1, but lots of the comics have elements from all over this multiverse so the silver age of comics is when everything begins to um, expand out for dc at the same time marvel is becoming a a concern and marvel comics um, their slogan was always these are the comics that happen outside your door so while the dc universe has cities like metropolis and gotham and Fawcett and midway and keystone marvel comics take place Theoretically, in our world, it takes place in New York. Right, you know, it takes yeah. place in London, uh, and those cities still exist in the DC universe. But it's Marvel always made an effort to be more of a, to be more of a, um,
0: somewhat grounded in reality. Comic book. This could happen. So, this could happen to you. This could happen on your doorstep, as you said. Yes, this can, yes, this, yeah, yeah. This is happening it, in your city right now. Right,
1: and so a lot of the Marvel stories of that time have science fiction elements, but they're all science fiction elements that don't feel as far-fetched as a planet was blowing up, and so a couple put a baby in a rocket ship and sent them here. You know, the Fantastic Four are astronauts, and they are hit by some sort of space radiation and become superheroes. In the 60s, that was a very uh, contemporary idea because the space race was happening, right? So that's not so crazy. The Incredible Hulk is a scientist who's hit with gamma radiation. Yeah, radiation is a real thing even if it doesn't turn you into the hulk it's a thing um you know spider man is on a trip and to a museum and there's a radioactive spider that bites him um you know captain america and this is captain america's from the 40s this is a little bit different but you know he is a super soldier that is enhanced to be a better machine in war that's something we've seen com- countries try to do you know so all of these uh, the x-men are are genetic mutations so all of these stories try to be a little bit more um, slice of life. That's a terrible way to put it though, because they're still superhero comics at this point, and they're still about people who shoot lasers from their eyes and whatnot. But you know, yeah. it's but it's it, it tries to be a little bit more, like I said, the comics outside your window. And so, uh, Marvel becomes very popular because their characters are in almost every way more relatable to us to the average reader than dc's comics characters are so you know well hopefully very few of us have had our parents gunned down in an alley and then we trained to become a bat almost all of us have been an awkward high school student who can't get the girl and that's the spider-man yeah. story or almost all of us um have a strained relationship with our families and that's the fantastic four story you know so there 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 are there's just these really human elements to it that led people to 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 really go to those stories now at this time, we are still getting a lot of romance comics and comics are not only a boy's pursuit. When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, comics were very much something boys did because it was superheroes and GI Joes and whatever. But romance yeah. comics were a huge, huge part of it. And all that is, is it's uh, imagine a romance novel or a soap opera, but serialized in a comic instead of a instead of a television series. You know, um, I said before about horror comics. You know, the 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 EC horror comics are wonderful horror stories. I mean, again, they've made multiple TV series and and films based on those stories. They are really, they're really really fun horror stories. Um, some of the crime, the hard boiled crime comics are. I wouldn't say they're as good as some of the hard boiled crime novels because you don't have a a signature writer or artist of those the way that you know you don't have a dashel hammond or something like that but but there's a lot of really interesting stories there too so comics are this this art form that also at the time and this is really important is almost totally disposable you buy a comic for a nickel and people used to throw them away when they were done reading them the way you throw away a newspaper um and so you know even though your dad might have read the flash comics in the thirties and the forties, rather he most likely didn't keep those comics for you in the sixties. So this extra element of folklore pops up because there's stories that people can't easily access. There aren't comic book stores at this point, they're all just sold at newsstands and supermarkets. And so, you know, if your dad tells you a Superman story about a comic, he read, you're, uh, until the 80s you're probably very likely to never be able to read that story unless it was reprinted or you found an old copy of it someplace at a at a garage sale or a thrift store there just there wasn't the there the was convenience and the, the accessibility convenience of it, yes. we have now yeah yes and, and that's true of of all media right i mean i remember yeah, you right. know before a vcr was a big thing you know how would you see an old film Well, it had to come to town to your theater right so it's it's all right. It's all that, but so that that makes up the Silver Age. I'm gonna try and move faster through the bronze Age uh the, the The Bronze Age is um that is the beginning of the sort of um taking comics outside of comics and putting them elsewhere. You see Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man get TV series. you see a lot of cartoons pop up, whether it's Super Friends or Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Uh, you also start to see the sort of trappings of modern comics in a lot of the ways that the books are put together, whether that's like the page count becomes a more consistent thing. You know, comics used to be some comics would be much shorter than others. Some would be huge oversized things. Everything starts to sort of level off in the bronze age where you pick up a comic from Marvel or DC. They're about the same size. They're about the same page count. Um, you see the beginning of comic book stores, which was never a thing beforehand, and wow. you start to see the you start to see the collectability of comics becoming something, um, and all of this comes to a head in 1985 with Crisis on Infinite Earths. I mentioned this briefly before, so
0: before I, we get into Crisis of Infinite yes. Earths, we should we should take a break and okay. dig into that. Um, but just before we go to that, so yeah. is uh, up until this point h- how popular is the comic uh, at this point before we dip dip into crisis sure, on infinite sure. earth um h- how popular is it would you I mean, say
1: it ebbs and flows right. um but i mean
0: i mean when... we've got household you know you've got people seeing these these superstar brands on tv you know what i mean so right, it's it's right. already it's already progressed into are larger than life it's 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 beyond the page by this point
1: sure but the other thing is that these companies are oftentimes very poorly run <laughs> and so right uh, you know they were popular but the popularity had dipped and when we talk about crisis i'll talk about why the popularity dipped because there's right. there, there's, right. there's i think one key reason for that
0: okay well if i've ever heard uh you know a prompt or a, a reason to stick around that's one we'll be right back All right, Crisis on Infinite Earth. I've got my T. Earths. Uh, I'm, uh, Earths. Oh, see, look, here I am. If you didn't know I was a noob before, I've just <laughs> given myself away. There's uh, there's real comic fans going, this guy doesn't know anything. Jeez. Talking about me, of course. All right, Brian. Probably me hit too. Us with it. No, right. I, I, I <laughs> doubt it. My mind's blown about six times so far. Six okay. times over. Once on Earth 1, once on Earth 3. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, right. um, okay, so... DC Comics has been publishing uh, for just shy of 50 years at the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's the 50th anniversary of Superman in 1988 or 89, depending on how you sort of count it. So we're we're in the mid 40s here now in terms of years being published. And so over that time, you have now the modern day comics, which are sort of started in the 50s. You also have these occasional comics that take place on Earth 2, which started in the 30s. And so, like, for instance, on Earth 2, Batman is dead because Earth 2 aged in real time. So the characters that were 20 in 1940 are now almost 60. And so some of these characters have died. Some of the characters' kids are now, the hero, like, you know... Um, their children have now become superheroes. And so we're getting this generational idea. Whereas stuff on Earth 1, you know, Batman always is about 30. Robin is always about 15. You know, the, 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 the stories kind of stay the same. The characters stay the same, even though the stories are changing. There's this sort of inertia of of growth and aging. But there's all this history there. And so to try and understand how confusing this was, in the 30s, Superman's parents were alive until he was like um, 18 or so. And then they die and he goes off to Metropolis and becomes Superman. Well, it's in the 50s. Superman's parents were alive after that. he would go visit them for a while. Yeah. In the 50s, it was established that um, Superboy was Superman when he was younger and he was best friends with Lex Luthor and now they are enemies, and but sometimes they're friends again, but most of the time they're enemies, and sometimes people are dead and they're alive. And there's there's all this history that because if you're trying to tell a story about somebody in their 30s or in their 20s, and you're trying to tell that same story for 30 or 40 years, there's going to be times when the, the natural inclination is, well, okay, nobody who's reading comics in 1975 or reading comics in 1945. So we can tell this story over again, but we're going to change it slightly. So basically, there's all these years of people doing what's best for the story right now and not worried about the story before or the story after. So comics history at DC is incredibly muddled and incredibly confusing. And for people, if you read a comic from the early 80s, A lot of times you get what's called editor's boxes. So if Superman says, Brainiac, I haven't seen you since we fought on Apocalypse, there'll be an asterisk. (laughs) And you'll see at the bottom, they fought on Apocalypse in Adventures of Superman number 393 through 395. And there would be, you know, there's still editor's boxes today, but usually it's one an issue, two an issue. There'd be like one or two a page sometimes because there needed to be so much reference back to things that happened in the past. because There's like just,
0: just wa- so much exposition, just exposition, yes. exposition everywhere. Yes, right.
1: oftentimes those comics would begin like, hello, Batman, who has a ward named Robin and lives in <laughs> Gotham City and uses a place called the Batcave. Like, they would just have to get so much information out there. And it was it was becoming detrimental to the comics. And so the idea at DC was, okay, forget this multiverse. Forget everything we have going on here. Let's reboot everything. Let's make everything on one Earth. Let's make it really user-friendly for folks to pick it up, and we can restart all of our stories for a new generation. And so Crisis on Infinite Earths takes almost 50 years of, of stories and condenses them down into one. I'm not going to go into the machinations of it because it's boring and dumb. But like, so
0: they, they literally blow it up. They blow it up. They blow yes, everything up. 50 yes, uh, years
1: of stories. Well, they selectively blow it up. So for right. instance, they, they go through and they decide, okay, here are the parts of the Batman story we're going to keep. And so when you meet Batman post-crisis,
0: most of the stuff. But before he was, he was, you know, he'd be drinking too much. He was unhappy. We'll get rid of that one. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be Ben Affleck pretty soon. Let's make this. He's got to look good. Yeah. yeah. There you. are, there are, you. there yeah. are
1: elements of that. Absolutely. Uh, but there are also elements of, you know, we're going to keep this part of his story, but we're going to, conveniently ignore this part of the story and so like you know now instead of the justice society being on earth two, well they were just the first generation of superheroes and so they were the first generation so so they're older in the 80s but they're still around and you know shazam comes over from that world they just kind of pluck and pick and choose all the stuff that they want to put together into this um this like greatest hits version of dc comics (laughs) and so that's That's essentially That's, that's brilliant just, that's what it is. And so <laughs> the stories that take place for the first 10 years or so after crisis are just establishing. I mean, they're telling new stories, but, you know, oftentimes you you would see, oh, that's the first time they've mentioned this person since the crisis or this, you know, and there are still some characters that have never come back since the crisis and the earth's happened. But every 10 years or so, a- as we're moving into the modern age, DC does this again and not to, the, not to the extreme degree they do with Crisis on Infinite Earths, but um, in 1995, there's an event called Flashpoint. In 2005, there's an event called Infinite Crisis. In uh, 2011, there was an event called Flashpoint. All of these events sort of are used as opportunities to refocus what DC Comics is all about. And so it allows the publisher to... To decide every 10 years or so what's important, what's not important, what direction do we want to go in now? what what stuff do we want to conveniently forget happened? what characters that were dead can all of a sudden come back to life through magical forces and all of that. So it it, it, it allows everybody to to be rediscovered by new readers. Now, uh, the yeah, the wow. joke of it is that that almost never happens. The same people I have been reading comics for thirty five years now, almost you know, and uh, more than thirty five years now actually, and you know, and and I I don't I don't drop off when a crisis happens, and I know very few people who pick up when a crisis happens. But that's the intended goal, is to re- reset things for for this generation.
0: It just it, you know it just kind of sounds like he says with jest. Like, someone just decided, you know what, every 10 years, we're just going to be able to erase all the bad ideas yes, and just kind of maximize the good ones. And it's genius. In a lot of ways,
1: it is genius. Uh, because I'm sure that all of us can think back on, you know, Star Wars is where my brain goes because I, I have equal parts DC Comics and Star Wars. If you opened me up, you'd find the Millennium Falcon <laughs> next, to, next to a Green Lantern <laughs> ring. But, like, I'm sure many of us wish that there are things that could be forgotten about Star Wars, but those films don't change. Yeah. You know, we're always going to have the crappy prequels. They're always going to be a part of it. Whereas in comics, there are there are characters and events that are just totally written out because it's inconvenient to have them around still.
0: But then there are people like yourself that carry on the lore of these so they don't completely die and they become now what collector's pieces like even these stories that are you know well
1: see he- here's what's really interesting the crisis events don't just wipe things out for the reader they uh, sorry they don't just wipe things out for the for the how can i say this
0: the world the dc
1: universe no 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 um so for instance at Flashpoint it happened in 2011, and it's not very good. But that's the most re that's the most extreme rewriting since Crisis and Infinite Earths. And the first issue after that begins with Batman and the Flash saying something is different about our world. Should so they the read rec- Batman. Yes. <laughs> so they recognize that something's changed. So even the characters know something has changed. And so sometimes yeah. a character will show up and will say, "I was dead." Why am I back? So wow. it's so it's not just resetting it for the reader or resetting it for the world. It's resetting it for both, but everyone winks and says, But it's it's always been this way. This thing has happened before. Um and it, it leads to it being very confusing and very daunting. And that's why I think for people like yourself who have never read a comic, you know, I have lots of friends who have seen every Marvel movie opening night. And love the Marvel Cinematic Universe exactly. exactly but if I say yeah. to them, pick up a comic, this oh no, I, I can't do that. That, that. that that's a bridge too far. And I think yeah, part of it is
0: uh, I don't think you know me very well. That's not, right. That's, you know? who I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, like yeah, comics. I like superheroes.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I think that part of the reason that people have a resistance towards towards jumping into comics is because they see now almost eighty years of stories or eighty plus years of stories rather and they see they know that you know superman died in the 90s well he's back now damn it how did that happen you know and and so you have to be willing to go along with it you know it's like who who is your favorite musician of all time
0: oh my god jeez that's that's you just came straight out of it just straight down the barrel of that one i don't know if i can say it i mean i'm probably i mean the guy that kind of epitomizes a lot of what I hope to do as a musician, as a writer, as a performer. You know, I um, look at me qualifying, qualifying, qualifying. Uh, Billy Joel. I'd say Billy Joel.
1: Okay. Um, when Billy Joel retired in the 90s, he put out that album of classical music that nobody remembers. Yeah. Right? But if you are a really big Billy Joel fan, you probably have an opinion about that album. Yeah, right. You know, I was in the supermarket the other day and River of Dreams came on. And um you said, "Hey, st- hold my juice
0: in the middle of now <laughs> yeah just yeah. dancing the, in
1: the aisle. Yeah, some people hate that song. Some people love that song. The real Billy Joel fans have an opinion about about all of this that goes much deeper than me, a guy who has who who is aware of Billy Joel's music and appreciates some of it but is not like a huge Billy Joel fan, right And right. so the problem is that when people think about comic books, they think that everybody, is the obsessive guy who has every single billy joel album and can bore you at a party about like well you know piano Man's is really about this you know like that is the that is the perception of everyone who's ever read a comic book and the and, and the thing is that to to really speak the comics language you have to at least be aware Of some goofy goofy stuff and you have to be willing to look past it you know i i was raised on the beatles music and i adore everything the beatles ever did um and that means that i have to love um why don't we do it in the road yeah and it means that i have to love yellow submarine uh you know even though those are not my the songs that i like reach for when i when i put on a beatles record right but all of that is part of the Beatles' experience, and so all of this is part of the comics' experience, except that imagine the Beatles put out a different album every single month for eighty years. <laughs> you know? it's, a, it's and then a,
0: every and then every so often just deleted a whole bunch of stuff and you yes, know, exactly just reinvented uh, "Get Back." Yes, know? exactly yes. down so, a tone, but country.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it it is daunting. It is a it is hard, and I'm I'm I am a DC guy, so I'm talking more about DC because that's just sort of what's in yeah. my. yeah my dna um yeah but but you know the other thing is that i think that people think superhero comics are childish and in many ways they are and i think that people think that superhero comics are vapid and in some ways they are but there's also some incredibly moving and touching stories and there's also some incredible artwork that does things that other mediums just don't do. And so I think you have to take the good with the bad with all of this. And just as I think if you're a fan of any filmmaker, musician, author, there's going to be stuff that is to an outsider or to a new per to a noob, as you put it before, you know, uh, to a noob going to appear less than great. As you begin to understand deeper, you can, you there's can more appreciate. to appreciate yes exactly yeah, yeah.
0: yeah it's um those russian dolls isn't it just yes keep, absolutely just absolutely. keep another one another one another one and, and in and dc's case it's just like another world another world another world another yes
1: world. and so uh at, actually earlier this year there is a comic being published that's on earth three because the multiverse is back baby uh and uh it's back it's back. as bit since better they deleted than I it. It's, uh, they did. It's blowing it's, my it's, mind. It's
0: been back and gone a couple of times. <laughs> um, but you know, there's but just so, this one guy in the writer room that's like, I think it's time to bring back the multiverse. Well, just it, every every few years just gets it in.
1: Yes, yes, pretty much because because it because there's a certain subset of people like myself who get excited for that stuff. So <laughs> you know, it helps us to 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 get our to, you know to 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 reinvigorate our love of of comics. So.
0: Um, so let me ask this this kind sure. of pseudo controversial question now, okay? So a lot of uh, the conversation around comics. Mm-hmm. Tends to be for those that don't really know where else to 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 go. You know, you're at a dinner party, and let's say, you know, uh, Spider-Man 17 just opened, and you're thinking, I oh, know there's no Spider-Man 17. I'm just assuming that we're not that there will far be. from that yet. Don't worry. So, I mean, if we stack the many series side by side, we must be pretty close to <laughs> to 17, really. We
1: would be at. No, this would be number eight. It would be the eighth theatrical release Star Wars, Spider-Man from the one that comes out in December.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, So if you're there and you're thinking you're grabbing something to talk about, you usually kind of go to what's better, DC or Marvel, right? Mm -hmm. And this kind of innate battle that must be between these two superhero worlds. Mm -hmm. Brian, is that a thing or is that just something? It is a thing, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, I would say that since Iron Man came into cinemas, Marvel has been winning that
0: debate among people. Um, because of the adaptations of them into cinema, it seems to have those were more revered. Y- yes, that's part
1: of it, and also just Marvel has had a more consistent creative vision over the last decade and a half or so. Um, so, are
0: you talking about right now? Sorry to interrupt. You're talking about both comics and film, or just the uh, branding in in the world? Both, yes. Okay, um okay.
1: But the sort the, the same guy, his name is Joe Quesada, has been at the helm of Marvel for the last 15 years or so and whereas dc has had a number of people filling that that role and so what you get is you get a more um you get a more streamlined approach because it's the same person doing doing the sort of big brain thinking up top yeah so that allows for a a more consistent product to, to be coming out when the same people are making the big decisions. But also, I I would argue that a- at any given month there's probably as many good and bad DC and Marvel comics for each company, you know. It, right. That that's just sort of how it rolls. But there will be there'll be a time I think when you well let me back up one more second. I think that when you look at television until Disney Plus, DC has been the undisputed king of the television adaptation we yes. have right now on the air we have the flash supergirl legends of tomorrow batwoman all on the cw right now, every week you get uh, you get at least four nights of dc superheroes on tv dc heroes to me work very well in com in comics and in television i think marvel heroes work much better in movies and part yeah. of that is because of this world outside your window thing. Yeah, yeah. It's you don't much more need humane, more humane. You don't you don't need to establish. It. When you watch the Flash TV series, it spends a good chunk of the first series first season getting the viewer up to speed about what the world is. If the world is your world, you don't need to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: And so I think that that's why a Marvel movie, you can show somebody a 2-hour Marvel movie and they understand everything about the world. Almost instantly, whereas DC stuff needs more time for that. But I will say this, I also think the DC stuff can be can be richer than Marvel stuff, because they're not beholden to our world. If, If you have a story you want to tell that doesn't make sense in the real world. In Marvel, you have to do some cajoling and some hand-wringing to get to that place. Whereas in DC, because that's not the world outside our window, that's a different place. You can you can do things differently. You can take bigger risks because it doesn't impact the world as we know it.
0: All right. Before we go, though, quickly, can I just ask you about this insane KFC trilogy? What is this? Do you know about this? The insane KFC trilogy that was a DC thing? Uh, so
1: I, I, <laughs> I am aware that it happened. I think I read the first one. <laughs> so for but anyone did... that doesn't
0: know, what I saw it was kind of just like this this cross promotion between DC. Is this right? DC and KFC, where there someone had like special powers. No, it was um, it was actually the Colonel who had the. It special was the Colonel.
1: Yes, yes, and it al- was. So this happens every now and then. Um. I remember back in the day, there was a uh, there was a Kool Aid story with superheroes. Um, just gosh, not even not even fifteen years ago, there was a Subway sandwiches with Jared no Fogle. Way. Yes, Jared joins the Justice League, which has aged very poorly if you know anything about Jared <laughs> Fogle. Um, so these are things that just happen every now and then. They're promotional items, but the KFC one is different because it seems like everybody knew how silly it was. And we're fine with it. Like they were, the tongue was firmly in the cheek with this. Um, And it is insane. uh, But that's also part of what makes it fun to me. I love that there's a weird KFC DC comic book. And I haven't thought about that in a while. And now I have to track those down.
0: So do you think this conversation, we took the blue pill or the red pill to hark back to the Matrix reference? Oof. um,
1: I mean, I think we went too deep to have taken the blue pill, right?
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right, well, everyone needs to get some help on that. Go by Starman. Um, be sure to check out all of Brian's work and and all the podcasts they do. Um, go to our show notes for all of that. Brian, thank you so much for your time and for, wow, just breaking it all down, man. i I've learned so much. i'm I'm I don't know where to start, but I know it's listening to this again and really taking it in. thanks so much for for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been Ramble City a podcast of conversations with interesting people musing on art, life and their careers. Created and produced by Old Fashioned Media. To hear more and discover additional material from today's episode, visit OFM.com.